0: I hope that you would highlight more than anything, more than the work, than the ministry, than the preaching, highlight that I was a faithful husband, that I was present for my children, that I prioritized wrestling over emailing, that I, you know, that I prioritized cooking a meal for my family over going for a meal with somebody that could benefit my purposes in life. I would hope that the main thing that people would talk about was me as a father and as a husband.
1: Hello friends, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast, where we believe the most fulfilled life you could live is one full of giving dams. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and I'm so pumped you're here with me today. You know how sometimes when bad things happen around the world and you say something about it on social media, you express concern, or you raise some money, and then some troll comes along and says, if you care so much about that thing or those people, why don't you move there? Has that ever happened to you? It happens to me quite often. Well, my guest today did just that. Today, you'll get to hear my conversation with my friend Carlos Rodriguez, who moved this very week, this week, to Puerto Rico with his family so he can more proactively help the amazing, resilient people of Puerto Rico as they rebuild. If you follow him on social media, you'll see very quickly that he is an encourager, someone who points to the bright spots in the world, and he clearly gives so many dams. In our conversation, we talk about his family, we talk about his faith, the t-shirt he sent me last week. By the way, thanks, homie. We talk about happy sonship, we talk about the happy givers, and what he aims to accomplish by moving to Puerto Rico. Also, he wants you to visit. No, seriously, you'll hear more details in our chat, but he clearly wants some of y'all to take him up on that offer. So let's get right into it, friends. Here's my conversation with the amazing, inspiring Carlos Rodriguez, a.k.a. Happy Sonship. Let's go. So thank you for being here, Carlos. i super excited to get into the our conversation. So much to talk about. You've been such... Uh, this is our first time talking uh, together, but we—I've been following you online. Uh, I think you've been following me for a little bit as well. And you're just such a, such an encouragement, um, always reminding, always getting me back. Uh, you know, focused on the things that I need to be. Sometimes I get a little bit crazy on social media get uh, a little too upset about certain things that are happening. and um, I've always found you and others, not just you, but you have been someone that has consistently encouraged me to you know continue focusing on what matters. So this this conversation we're about to have, you know means a lot to me. I'm super excited to get into your story. Um, so we've got a lot of things to talk about. you're an author, you're a podcaster, you're a you know a business owner, lots of things. Before we get into all of that, let's hear some of your story tell me about the people places things that formed you shaped you to become who you are today because that'll give us you know some sense as to why you're even doing the things you're doing today so go back as far as you want what's your
0: story yeah so full name actually carlos alberto rodriguez ortiz rivera pagamburgo pardo garcia caquiasarrio that's your real last name <laughs> that's my full name brother pray for my father and my mother. <laughs> do it
1: Do it again, because people missed that. They weren't expecting it. They were probably expecting like maybe two middle names or two last names, which are very common. Bro, yeah. I've been
0: married for 14 years to a gorgeous British wife. She's just the best, Catherine Rachel Roberts. And my wife still doesn't know my full name.
1: <laughs> oh my, well, obviously. So do, do it one more time. I'm going to just just do it again.
0: Carlos Alberto Rodriguez Sostre Ortiz Rivera Pagan Burgo Pardo Garcia Caquillas Nazario. That's my There it is, name. folks. There,
1: there <laughs> will never, I guarantee you, there will never be a podcast uh, interviewee ever again that will have a last name like that. So you, just made, you just made Let's Give a Damn Podcast history. <laughs> um, okay, so there's there's your name. Now, we don't have any more interview time. It's all done. That's, that's it. it
0: no. Uh, yeah, tell us some of your story. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and honestly, that that's just my dad being who he is. Um, I was he was an abusive alcoholic that loved me hard that gave me so much love and identity. So I had, I had this kind of bipolar relationship with him because he's like, if he wasn't drunk, he's my absolute hero and he's speaking life into me. And, you know, he's just like, this is your name. And this is what each name means. And, you know, like really get to know who you are. And then when he's drunk, he's just this abusive jerk that just, you know, I I just want to get rid of. So, and I, and I I am the firstborn of both my mom and dad's second marriage. So I have sisters from my dad's first marriage and sisters from my mom's first marriage. And then me and my sister, Carla, and then a sister that we adopted. So, you know, this kind of wild combination of, you know, familia in Puerto Rico, like love, community. I could never call my sisters half, you know, my older sisters from their first marriages. Um, we were always together. My dad's ex-wife, I call her mom. She's been involved in my life. My dad, my mom's ex-husband, he was involved in my life. So I grew up in this kind of weird, you know, like incredible dysfunction. And at the same time, this beauty of like doing family and brokenness, you know, and doing it well, even though things were really bad. So I don't know, I guess I'm trying to say that because that that kind of formed in me this sense of belonging to one another, despite like being the most horrible things and, and finding ways to stick it out and to you know, kind of making it work. And even though it was really bad, right? My dad was being abusive. My mom was strong. She left them. We moved to the States when I was 10. That's where I learned my English in Lakeland, Florida, a little, little school in, in Florida. And, and, you know, she kind of like paved the way like you either change or we're done. So she, you know, it wasn't like he's an abusive and my mom's just like a victim. She's like, no, we're going to change this. Things are going to be different, you know? And, so I went through a lot in childhood—just brokenness, separation. Um, I get again two divorces from from their first marriages, and you know, almost a divorce from their marriage. But now, all that to say, now I get the the beauty of the family without so much of the dysfunction. My dad stopped drinking, completely restored his life. So the second chapter of my childhood was like seeing this man who used to be a monster now being completely restored and just being an amazing example to me and. Still to this day, my best friend, the guy that supports me the most, um, you know, the man I can go to, which if you would have seen the first 10 years of my childhood, you would say impossible, you know? So it just, I don't know. I live for those kinds of stories um, and I live with that constant hope of transformation for anybody, even the worst of the worst, because I saw it with my own dad.
1: Yeah, 100%. It's very clear, you know, having that context, which I didn't know, having that context, it is very clear why you are the way that you are today right even just observing you know somebody observes you for a couple of days on social media or whatever or or even if they just go google you and research some of the, some of the way you know even your book title your podcast title your your nonprofit name you know like it is clear that this is someone when they get into the content it is someone who did not you know always have it good mm-hmm. right but came out on the other end stronger right yeah. which is i would never wish you know, it's one of those weird things about life. It's one of those weird things that, you know, it's, is a mystery. I would never, what you just shared with me, having a drunk, abusive father, all those things, kind of the, you know, the, the, the kind of broken family and kind of piecing it together. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but at the same time, when you see people that have come through those things, they have a, you know, a strength, a, you know, I, I have so many friends of mine who have been, you know, w- whether it's you know sexual abuse or physical abuse different kinds of abuse some people don't make it out so well and, and and we need to do a better job caring for them that's for sure but the people that do you know get care and love and mentorship and people around them as they recover and heal they come out with exponentially more strength and grit and fortitude than people who you know have this peaceful childhood with two parents who never did this or that or the other Um, and again, I don't like wish that on anybody, but I also know that's a reality of life. And I know that people typically, at least in my experience, have come out stronger. And so that's, yeah,
0: it really is bizarre how that happens. Exactly what you're saying. I don't like, I don't want to create that environment in my own home for my children. No, somehow, (laughs) you know, kind of learn how to overcome. And yet at the same time, there, there are elements of that, that you can recreate without having to go through the dysfunction. So I try my best for my kids to be involved in the lives of other people, you know, who are struggling and to, to be based with with heartache that's happening right now and to become kind of advocates. So right now we're, I mean, I'm seven days from moving back to Puerto Rico with my family because, you know, I want to do family and mission and I want them to be exposed to, you know, the fact that not everything's perfect. And there's this hurricane that happened and thousands of people died and, I don't want to be the dad that just flies in and do the hero stuff. And then I want my kids to be involved in it and to be exposed to the potential that they have to serve others. And actually the potential they have to learn from those people who are overcoming incredibly difficult circumstances. So I don't have to create the dysfunction in my own home actually, but I can create an atmosphere where they are exposed to overcoming um, for themselves and, and, and with other people and learn from those people.
1: You took the words literally out of my mouth. And as, as far as I'm obviously not going to put my, like, I want to love, you know, their mother well and love them well and take them on adventure. I want to do all of that stuff. Right. And I, they, they, I have apologized. My kids are four, five, and six. I've apologized to them literally hundreds, maybe thousands of times at this point. So I want them to, I want them to see the healthy environment. So I don't want to, I don't want to recreate that just for the hell of it. Sure. But I do want to put them in front of circumstances where we get to ask a lot of you know, what questions and why questions and how questions about what's happening, right? We're so you're moving your, you know, family to Puerto Rico, which we're gonna get into more here in a few minutes. My family and I, we're hoping to move to New York City within a year or so. And one of the main reasons is, I mean, a lot of people I kind of like a good challenge and everybody's saying you can't raise your kids here, but also the, the the things that they're going to encounter on a daily basis, they're going to come home with handfuls of questions every day as they get off the train to and from school, and they're going to say, "What was that all about, Papa?" Like, let's talk yeah. about that. And and we're they're going to see things that we're going to be involved in things that they're going to they're going to get. I think your children, my children, hopefully the prayer is that they will get some of that. Um, grit and that fortitude without having to go through those things within the safe walls of their home, right? That's
0: right. Um, I believe it. I believe
1: it. So let's talk, you're Puerto Rican, and you are moving back to Puerto Rico uh, soon with your family. You said seven days, so we're a week away. Yeah. Why? I mean, you already gave us some insight into why, but you're taking them into a country, a, 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 what do you call it, territory? Territory, right? It's a territory.
0: We we like to say the island of Puerto Rico. The island of
1: Puerto Rico. So you're taking them to this island that has been ravaged by um, hurricanes and, you know, there have been what the count, the death count is at 5,000. Nobody's really talking. Some people are talking about it, but vastly no one's talking about it. They've been left, you know, kind of defend for themselves in a lot of ways. And you are moving your family there. Why? Like beside, like that, that's not an easy, uh, where do you live right now?
0: So I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina right now. Raleigh, North Carolina. My family, my, most of
1: my family live about an hour away from there. Um, oh, really? Know, near, near, in between Greensboro and Burlington. Oh, um, excellent. Yeah, so they, it's, it's a long story as to why they migrated there, but they're there for now. So I, I know that area super, super well. Um, yeah, it's, so yeah, it's a great area. Raleigh Durham, great area. It's one of the most desirable. It's literally on all. If you look at where, where should you move, where there's a lot of things yeah. happening and it's great to live. Raleigh Durham's on every list right now. Every time. So Always. Why would you move them from there? to Puerto Rico. Tell us, tell us about what's besides putting your kids in front of situations where they're going to have to ask why, when, where, how questions and have to, you know, answer those questions. Like what's behind that?
0: To make a really long story short, I moved to Raleigh to be part of a church planting team. Um, so I, I, you know, I got saved like that classic salvation, Billy Graham crusade in Puerto Rico back in 1995 as my family's kind of recovering from all their mess and we're kind of doing things differently, I have that very classic evangelical type of like walking up to the front, you know, and raising my hand and et cetera, et cetera. And I quickly got involved in church. And again, long story short, I ended up doing a school of ministry in Toronto, Canada, um, early 2000s, and kind of fell in love with, you know, the... Missions, being out, you know, different nations, being able to kind of share the story of Jesus and what does that look like today and different cultures, different contexts, et cetera, et cetera. And that church that I went to a school, that's where I met my wife, she's from England. Uh, we met in Toronto, got married in Puerto Rico, and then I was pastoring in Puerto Rico, um, working at a local church there. And then I moved to Raleigh to plant the church with a with a group of friends, and that went well. And I ended up being the lead pastor of that church. And the church was growing and people were coming and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, kind of found relative success. Um, and yet when ministry was doing the best, I'm traveling, I'm speaking, I'm releasing a book, I'm doing book signings. And, you know, I'm, 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 being, I'm being paid well to speak um, at different conferences and events. I ended up just being miserable, to be honest with you. Um, like Western Christianity wasn't cutting out for me. Um, just entertaining other Christians and really repeating the same stories they've heard before, and it, bizarrely falling into the traps of things that I was preaching against. So, for example, I was big on families first. You got to prioritize your family, but I'm saying that in Romania and Peru, while my wife is at home with our two little ones, and I'm not there, you know, <laughs> and And I'm telling people, we got to get out of the four walls. We got to help the world. We got to help the poor while speaking over and over again at big conferences getting paid good money. To not, be, to not be with anybody who had need. So, you know, I, I, I literally had a crisis of faith about five years ago. I was being, I was without the alcohol and the abuse. I was falling into the same patterns my dad was on when he was young. I wasn't like sleeping around with other women, but the church was kind of my, you know, my lover, my on the side. And I was giving more time, priority, emotional energy to that. Um, and I, I, you know, I wasn't being abusive, but I was, I was threatening to be, and I was, you know, being a person at church different to what I was being at home. And I was being, I mean, I was just legitimately a jerk. Um, and so my wife and I had a kind of come to Jesus moment, if you want to say it like that. And we started getting counseling. I stopped being the pastor. Um, I did a year of just like marriage counseling. I'm going to focus on my family. I'm going to focus on, on, you know, the things that are in me that need. Correction and work with my character as opposed to my audience, and work on my on my inner life as opposed to you know what people see on the outer outer world. So all that happened, and I rediscovered that I really don't like being a pastor of a church in Northern Raleigh. Um, I really don't like just like coming up with a good twenty minute sermon so that I get good offerings. I really just like being out there with people, and and so, anyways. I started a children's home in Peru. Um, I started doing like relief work. Like after Hervey hit Houston, after Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, taking teams there, that same audience that used to listen to me in sermons and preach and church started to kind of follow me into, let's not just write about stuff or have opinions about stuff or preach about stuff. Let's actually do the stuff. And I just kind of fell in love again with my faith and understood that statement faith without works is dead I really understand it now because when my faith is working I feel alive I really do and I found the joy of it and I found the joy of doing it with others and of course as I'm doing like prison workshops as I'm in Puerto Rico helping people right after the hurricane as I'm doing all that stuff I'm realizing I'm not I'm not even here as the savior I'm here to learn from these people um, to grow with them, to do life with them, to serve them where they're at at the moment. And actually, the Jesus I was trying to take to them, I was finding him already there. So fell in love with that and started to take people on that. And that's what I'm focusing my all my energy and attention to. So that's why we're moving to Puerto Rico.
1: You know, there's a lot of different people listening to this. Um, you know, Christians, Muslims, Baha'i, people with no faith. And I've heard all the stories, right? and that what you just shared can and should resonate with everyone right this idea that if you receive good instructions in this case from Jesus and he says go do something and you sit around and talk about it and philosophize about it and theorize about it but you don't actually go do it right jesus jesus is very clear love your neighbor Go help the poor, the widow, the orphan. If there's someone in trouble, you consider if you have a place in fixing that problem. There's so many, like over and over and over again, there are commands to do good in the world, right? And, and Christians have historically been known as people that will do a really good job writing about it and talking about it and you know teaching about it, preaching about it. But then when it comes time to actually doing it, because at the end of the day, Humans have this, you know, laziness about them that doesn't matter what you believe. If they're, you know, we're whatever. We have student loans to pay off. We have jobs. We have families. We have all these things, and we see this opportunity to serve someone. But if there's, if there are too many barriers in the way to get that done, we kind of chicken out and we go back to whatever it is, you know, Hulu, Netflix, uh, our book, our what, our our whatever it is, you know, whatever our our thing is. Um, and so that what you just shared, super. I mean, it's a really great. It's a really great story about you know you could have had everything you could have had the life in ter- in, in, you know and you still do have you still have the life right I I've, I think this is more the life than the other one but you could have had the life in terms of like you know making a lot of money for very little not very little work but not a ton of like physical exertion right sure, and sure. you're you're choosing hey I've got to go out there and do it I've got to be with the people. Um, so much so that you are moving your family to uh, Puerto Rico. Where where are you going to live when you're there? What's the kind of situation you're going into? What's the kind of work that you're going to be doing on a daily
0: basis there? That's a good question. So we started, we were there three weeks after the hurricane. And of course, the main issues at the beginning were um, lack of clean water. So people started getting sick very quickly. They're drinking from the river. I mean, the people that were getting water from, you know, from like the system wasn't good. Um, So we started taking water filters and we're going all around to communities, to a lot of communities that we were actually the first people they saw since the hurricane happened. And we're talking three weeks, five weeks after the hurricane, uh, completely disconnected. I mean, there was no cell phone service. We had to drive to a town to try to find like police officers or even talk to the mayor of these small towns to try to find out where the most need was. They're pointing us I mean, there's no GPS, there's no nothing. So that was the beginning. And then slowly but surely, things started to very slowly tr- normalize. But then, of course, there's thousands of people that have lost their homes. Um, it, it obviously, to Puerto Ricans and to a lot of people, non-Puerto Ricans, who were working in Puerto Rico after the hurricane, it was no surprise. I mean, the the official number right now is 4,665. Um, of deaths that happened as a consequence of the hurricane. I mean, I heard so many stories. It was obvious to me that it was in the thousands. Um, people that had heart attacks during the hurricane, people that couldn't get dialysis medication right after the hurricane, blood transfusions couldn't happen, accidents, um, people literally drowning, people that still haven't been found. Um, there's hundreds of people in the morgue right now that haven't been identified. So what we're, we're moving because... Um, again, I, I sort of became this bridge between the church world and the actual need that was in Puerto Rico. And I discovered, despite the lack of attention the administration, the current administration gave to Puerto Rico, a lot of people really did want to help. And for people that wanted to help, I was saying, well, I'm going, and this is what my nonprofit is doing. We were doing water filters first, took different teams from different Um, Church backgrounds, different denominations, believers, non-believers took him with me. We did trips to take water filters all over the island. And then now moving more into reconstruction, mostly for elderly family, elderly couples and single moms that lost everything. Um, So rebuilding homes. I mean, they need a fridge. They need beds for their kids, anything that they need to kind of get them set up to overcome and to I mean, we're, we're 10 months since the hurricane now, and the hurricane season has started again. So a lot of people that still are struggling, they're not even close to being ready for the next, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen. But if it does happen, um, to get ready. So welcoming teams, I'm going to be in Puerto Rico kind of being a host. I have a team in Puerto Rico that's constantly identifying needs, individuals, communities. Um, and then i have ton of people that are saying hey how can we come how can we serve can we do a week trip can we do a month you know can we send teams can we send money and that way i'm, I'm you know it's a, a kind of a joy to be that bridge between these two worlds and and grateful for people's generosity to help in that
1: This podcast episode is brought to you by my friends at Scout Books. The last couple of weeks and the next few weeks we won't be doing traditional ads. We're doing something a little bit different. I love my friends at ScoutBooks and I'm delighted that we get to spend a few minutes each week sharing the different ways they give so many dams. Last week, we got to hear from their co-founder, Laura Whipple. This week, I'd love to introduce to you Rose Lavelle, the sustainability director at
2: ScoutBooks. Hi, I'm Rose, the sustainability director at Scout Books. We became a B Corp in 2017, which was a huge step in solidifying our commitment to environmental sustainability and social equity as a core part of our business. To become a B Corp, you must complete the B Impact Assessment and receive at least 80 points out of a possible 200. It's a comprehensive tool with hundreds of questions about your business and how it operates. We learned a lot just by filling that out. For example, a question would ask, Do you have a paid volunteer program? We'd think, no, but maybe we should. And now we offer paid time off for all of our staff to volunteer in the community each year. It was changes like this that helped us transform our business to meet the B Corp standards. When we took the assessment for certification, we scored 102, where the medium score for businesses is 55 and the base requirement to be certified is 80. We were thrilled to have such a high score and to officially join the community of businesses working to solve society's most challenging problems.
1: Remember, damn givers, you can get 15% off your order at scoutbooks.com by using the code in all caps, GIVEADAM. All caps, damn at checkout. More next week, but for now, back to the show. Let's continue my conversation with Carlos. So how are you funding all the work that you're doing? Is it through, I'd love for you to talk about happy, the Happy Givers and all, I mean, your your, your Twitter name is Happy Sonship, your nonprofit is Happy Givers. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, so that, that was one of the things that I discovered. I mean, it was a very personal thing. As I'm going through my breakdown, I was telling you, it, you know, almost losing my marriage, definitely losing my faith and everything else. In that whole season, I discovered that the thing that made me happy was just, being available to my family, being available to my friends, actually getting to know people outside of my bubble, my Christian bubble, and just like the joy of eating together, the joy of just like, you know, making new friends and actually serving those people that are in need. So this whole concept of the happy sonship, the happy givers, the happy missions, et cetera, came out of. And I had kind of a big, biggish blog audience, you know, kind of online media people kind of listening to what I was saying. But again, my conviction was I'm talking about it, but I'm not doing it. So when I started to actually do this stuff and I'm doing videos from Puerto Rico and I'm telling people what's happening with Doña Milagro in Arecibo, you know, and I'm, and I'm telling people, you know, these weekly workshops that I'm doing in the federal prison here. And I'm telling stories of like being out there. I, people really responded so well. And so we're a 501c3 nonprofit. And people were giving and donating, but I didn't want to depend just on donations because it's almost like you're just waiting for the next disaster, you know, to get a boost in money so you can do the work. Um, so I started a, an online store. It's the happygivers.com. And we sell apparel with kind of the messages that we would want to wear. Love thy neighbor, thy gay neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor, thy Christian neighbor, thy Jewish neighbor, thy atheist neighbor. Um, those sell incredibly well. And different messages that I You know, without the label of the nonprofit, you buy it, you wear it, you love it. And 100% of the profits actually support all our work in Puerto Rico and Peru and Ethiopia. Um, Our youngest daughter, we adopted her from Ethiopia. So we do some work there too. And yeah, and people seem to really love that. And it's been incredible, the amount of money that has come in. And it's kind of, you know, it feeds itself because then we put all that money into fixing homes and doing some great work in Puerto Rico, doing our children's home in Peru and just to, you know, people keep giving, keep gen- keep being generous. And there's an element of this generation, especially millennials and generation next where like church is just like, just the classic Sunday morning is not attractive, but you share them something that's happening and, you know, in Puerto Rico and how you're serving the poor and how you're, you know, doing stuff with the people that nobody else wants to do it. And they really buy into it and they really support it. And we've been fortunate to kind of, you know, create that platform and people have been super involved.
1: That's super special. I'm, I'm really glad that you have found a way to a, you know, communicate these messages to people through, you know, mugs and hats and bags and shirts. And I'm also happy that it's funding, you know, the incredible work that you're doing because that's, that's some of the hard work right there is having a vision for a project. Right. And then figuring out how to pay for it. Right. I've, I've been involved in nonprofit work for 21 years now and, that is the that is the biggest issue and the hardest problem is figuring out how to do the work well right and and because that always re- it always requires money like money is the thing at the end of the day that sometimes prevents us from doing you know the work that we feel called to do you did send me the love thy neighbor shirt the other day thank you so much for that wonderful shirt with a wonderful message that we need to, you know, continue to embrace and make sure that we are doing just that. Uh, You know, Jesus was, again, regardless of whether you're a person of faith or not, like the command from Jesus to love your neighbor is a wonderful, wonderful message and something that we need to do. That's That's the way that we move forward, is to stop seeing, you know, these, oh, you're different from me in this way or that way, therefore we cannot be in community together? Like, that's ridiculous. Um, we need to bring all these different minds together to figure out how we can love our communities better and do good things in the world. And um, I love the Jesus Women bag. I, I oh, a yeah. tote. Maybe there's more yeah. products. But the, we're in this age of Me Too and Church Too, right? I'm, I'm, I'm heavily involved in both of those conversations because it's hugely important. Two things. One, I've, I've always been confused at churches regardless of denomination you know some or, or even like traditions sometimes like churches by and large have done a terrible job at lifting up women and letting letting them lead uh, i mean i don't know about you like as i become a hopefully a better husband and parent and all of that like i just told my wife the other day actually i was like you i cannot imagine trying to be the main parent in our family like i'm i'm not the better parent of the two of us. You're a much better parent. I'm learning from you. I defer to you. And obviously I want to I want to be heavily involved in the lives of our kids. But I'm, you know, I'm I'm working, you know, 12-14 hours a day sometimes. I travel a lot. Like you know our kids so much better than I do and her patience level is 100 times, you know, what I what I possess and I'm trying to get better at it. But I just love the idea of, you know, empowering women, honoring them, um, lifting them up and so What's been the response for that, that product and that message that you guys have put out in this age of Me Too and Church Too and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, so it's a, it's a combination of some people that – I'll tell you a story. My, my, I have a good friend here in Duke University. He's a professor in the School of Divinity. His name is Douglas Campbell. And he told me there's a place about 30 minutes from here, actually, next door to the federal prison that I do workshops in. It's called Skaggsville. And it's a, it's an old slave plantation and you can still visit some of the slave quarters. And he recommended to me, he's like, he's a super duper amazing theologian. So I, if he says something, I pay attention. And he said, stand inside of one of the slave quarters inside one of the rooms and, and read every single verse in the Bible that sounds positive towards slavery, both old Testament and new Testament, read it in there. And be aware that scripture Bible can be used to oppress people. But if you're doing that, you're missing kind of like the whole purpose of it, right? You can find this one verse that maybe can imply that you can be oppressive to these people or those people. You can find the one scripture that kind of makes it sound like you can be, you know, a jerk to women or you can be, you know, you can do X or Y or Z. But if you read it, if you read the whole story in the context of God is love, and as you've been saying, like, Jesus is inviting us to serve others, then we were just talking recently about the fact that the church has been good at preaching but not doing. I feel it's even worse than that. Unfortunately, we've been good at preaching, like, those small context, things out of context, right? I wish we would be good at just preaching the love part. I mean, let's get to that first step, and then we can <laughs> move to the next one. Um so I went there and I'm reading all these verses because they used to kind of force the slaves, hey, the gospel says this, the Bible says this, and we can use scripture to oppress, but then we're missing out really from the beauty of what the invitation, the ultimate invitation of love, of service, of choosing others above ourselves. So the Jesus women one, you know, it talks about Jesus learned from women, empowered women, and you can find story after story, which if you put yourself in the context, like, incredible patriarchy, oppression to women. The Pharisees would on purpose, pray out loud. Thank you, God, that you didn't make me a woman. You know, so women would hear that and they were never allowed into kind of the Holy of Holies. And Jesus is coming and he's touching them. He's praying with them. He's loving them. He's inviting them to his inner circle. He's empowering them. I mean, it's it's he was so ahead of his time, so outside the cultural norms. And if the church can hold on to that and could preach that more and could live that more, um, I, I do have the advantage. I have five. I'm the only boy. I have five sisters. They're all beautiful, powerful, um, just capable women. And, and in Puerto Rico, there is an element of the two biggest churches in Puerto Rico are actually female led. Um, so I, I feel like the church in America has an opportunity to learn from the church in Latin America where these beautiful, powerful women, um, are doing incredible things. And, and hopefully we can realize that actually that's part of the original message of the gospel of what Jesus came to, to preach. It used to be this way. Um, and I love that statement. Jesus said so many times, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, you can come up with, you've heard it said for all sorts of you've, you've heard it said you can oppress these people. You've heard it said that this is bad. You've heard it said that you can do that. What I tell you, you know, love, love, Others as you love yourself, but I tell you, don't rule, serve. But I tell you, the last shall be first, but I tell you. So let's focus on the what I tell you of Jesus. And in terms of the context of women, I mean, he's just, he couldn't be more empowering.
1: Specifically, any man that wants to use the Bible to rule over people in a harsh way, to rule over women in a harsh way, to put people, like, all of your arguments, like, come toppling down. When you encounter Jesus, that's right, right? Like that's they fact. just, they just do. Like when you see, again, like a lot of people listening have no idea, or are, are, are kind of outside this conversation, and I invite them into it. But like, regardless of what, how much you know about Jesus, or even about religion, or if you're religious at all, when you read what Jesus said, and then you see how some people act today, they don't line up. That's the that's the point I'm getting at. Is like you've got to look at what he came to correct even and to modify and he did a lot of that in his during his life on the earth and he he pointed us to a better way and that better way inc- included women leading and you know i can't imagine a life where women aren't leading alongside me and over me and cuz they just have so they just have so much to offer i'm a better person because of the strong very full of integrity powerful women in my life. Yeah, um, so I'm no doubt about I, I, I love I love that message. Um as we begin to land the plane here, I loved also the message of the the drop the stones. You have a podcast and a book. So, you know, what you're referencing here is, you know, in 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 the Bible John 8. Uh, why don't you kind of give for anybody that doesn't know, give a quick synopsis of that story and then tell us why the book the podcast why it's important to have the conversations that you're having
0: yeah i would say it's one of those statements that fit even well outside of christianity whoever is free of sin cast the first stone um you know that that's the kind of statement you can hear from people that would have never read the story um, but the story is this, there's a woman that's caught in the act of adultery which is very significant because number one is a woman, um, again, oppressed in, in, their, in their time, in their culture, in their system. And number two, it says she's caught in the act of adultery, right? So there's no, like, there's no assumptions that maybe she's good, she's bad. She's caught doing something that, again, to their time, their place, is just like the most evil thing. There's actual scripture that say you, you're allowed to stone that woman. Right. So the religious leaders who know scripture really well are bringing her to Jesus to say, "Yeah, the Bible says, right. And again, if you read the Bible, you can find those verses to impress whoever the Bible says that she should be stoned. And Jesus, I mean, geniusly plays into and uh, exposes the hypocrisy because actually the verse number one, the verse is saying stone, both the male and the female. Sure, right. right. Where's so, the number, dude? Exposing back they're just bringing the woman. So I like to say Jesus wasn't contradicting the religious leaders because they're following the law, because we know that the law is good. Um, he's he, What he's challenging is their ability to manipulate the law to only benefit them. That's the challenge, right? How do we use the law, the scriptures, um, whatever kind of religion, spirituality you have in order to feel better about yourself, in order to oppress other people, in order to put other people down? So this, this beautiful encounter in John 8, <clears throat> Jesus actually gets on the floor. He starts writing on the dirt. We don't know what he's writing, but then he gets up and he says, whoever's free of sin cast the first stone. The Bible clearly states that the old men were the first ones. They were like, okay, I got a lot of those. So peace out. They started leaving. And Jesus is left alone with this woman. This woman that was just recently caught in the act of adultery is now she was looking for the right thing. She might've been looking at in the wrong place. Uh, she's looking for love. She's looking for acceptance. She's looking to belong. And she finds the one that gives her that. Jesus says to her, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Uh, So that's the message of the book. The book is an invitation to realize that we all have sin. We all have our issues. um, However you label that transgression, iniquities, et cetera, et cetera. We all have things that we're struggling with. Um, We all have um, kind of blind spots in our character and our behavior. The invitation is to focus on how do I deal with my stuff? And what I've done in the book is it's short chapters and one after the other. If I feel like I want to call out something on somebody else, I first have to call it out on me. And another kind of well-known statement from Jesus, deal first with the log in your eye to then, you know, help your brother with a speck on his eye. So dealing with our, our massive issues, our, our secret sin, the things that we don't share with anybody else let's actually, you know, deal with ourselves. And then we can be empowered to help others. But that, it comes from a place of humility, right? It doesn't come from a place of I'm superior to you. It comes from a place of you only have a spec. I used to have a log. So let me get there. Let me get close. And let me see how I can serve you and love you. And we can move forward together.
1: That's super helpful. And the, the podcast, similar conversations happening?
0: Yeah, it, it's like, I'm, um, Some of my Muslim friends, um, some friends who are believers, some friends who are very liberal, some friends who are very conservative. So, you know, different people from different backgrounds, um, different faith walks. How can we sit together at the same table? And here's another thing about the benefit of being a Latino. We really there's a famous book called The Five Love Languages, Um, especially in Christian circles, is very well known. Um, Definitely a white boy wrote that book because none of the five love languages is food. And that I mean. Only a white person can write a book on love languages and not include food. So true. Um, Because (laughs) we know for a fact that food is the place like gathering around tables. And the Bible talks about Luke 15, uh, which is one of the gospels, talks about the fact that the religious leaders were not angry that Jesus was preaching. They were not angry that Jesus was healing people. They were angry that he was sitting with sinners and eating with them. That was their main complaint about Jesus. So it's at the table, right? It's at that place of connection, of being at the same level, because I'm not standing over you as I'm preaching, and I'm not ruling over you as I'm serving you, because you have a need, but I don't have a need, and I kind of become the savior. No, it's at the place of equality, of we're sitting at the same place, we're eating the same meal, we're sharing this intimate moment. Those are the places that we can overcome. So I believe that coming closer will move, move us forward. That's what Jesus did. And that's what I try to do with the podcast, and I what I what I try to do with the book. Carlos,
1: some I hope it's 50, 60, 70 years from now, but someday you are going to die. On that day, for some reason, I've been asked in this future scenario, I've been asked to give your eulogy, your family your friends, the people you've served here in the states and Puerto Rico, everybody's there in your the the home that you built in Peru. Like everybody's there to honor, celebrate more in your life. In in front of all those people, what do you hope that I would say on that day about your life and legacy?
0: I hope that I hope that you would highlight more than anything, more than the work, than the ministry, than the preaching, highlight that I was a faithful husband that I was present for my children, that I prioritized wrestling over emailing, that I, you know, that I prioritized cooking a meal for my family over going for a meal with somebody that could benefit my purposes in life. I would hope that the main thing that people would talk about was me as a father and as a husband. And then from that place, as a family, we did really good mission and we did really good work around the world. And, you know, we, we started multiple children's homes at weren't like again, it wasn't like, oh pity on those on those kids, but it actually lets do family with them. The same way that you talk positively about me as a husband, as a father, you can talk about me as a as a father to others that didn't have fathers and as a friend to others that you know didn't have friends and as an example of Jesus to those that thought that Jesus was the wrong thing. So hopefully family first and then as a family together making sure that, you know, we're inviting as many people to that table of love and community.
1: I love it. That's a great legacy in life, man. I hope, uh, I think you're well on your way doing
0: that. Keep up uh, the good work. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you hoped I would? I do want people to know that the reason I'm moving to Puerto Rico again is to be a host. Um, For anybody that's listening and you've been thinking, how can I help in Puerto Rico? How can I be involved? Email me, carlos at sonship.com and sonship. The word Sonship is kind of Christian-y, so sorry about that. Uh, but Sonship, S-O-N-Ship. Um, so happy son- Carlos at happysonship.com. I am, again, open arms um, from whatever background, whatever style, whatever belief you have. If you want to help the people of Puerto Rico, I am moving to Puerto Rico to be a host to people that want to come, want to love, want to serve. Um, and then we'll do some surfing, too. And we'll do some rice and beans and mojitos. Um, that's all part of, that's all part of doing mission together. Cause if there's something that Puerto Rico is like, we don't want you just to come and feel sorry for us. We want you to come and dance with us. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. And it is a beautiful place. So, well, I will be, I will be taking you up on that
1: for sure. Come on hundred percent. And I hope oh. that some others, Carlos, <laughs> a happy com. Um, is there anything else? That was my next question. So you, you got me there. Is there anything else that you want them to go look for anything that you really want them to go check out as we wrap up here?
0: Email me if you want to come to Puerto Rico. And if there's any way that you want to support us, then, you know, get something nice at the That's T-H-E happy givers with an S at the happy givers.com. That's our store. And again, we, we, we really believe in creativity and being entrepreneurs, not just kind of depending on a donation here or there, but actually you getting something um, from, you know, from supporting the work that we're doing. So the happygivers.com is a place to go.
1: Carlos, this has been fantastic. Thank you for sharing your story, your work, your life, your family with us. Keep up the good work and, uh, we'll be in touch very soon.
0: You too, brother. Thank you for this.
1: Friends. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation. Gosh, I loved chatting with Carlos. Go to nicklapara.com forward slash let's give a damn nicklapara.com slash let's give a damn to check out show notes for this podcast and for all the other podcast episodes we've done hit me up on social media i'm nicklapara everywhere and we are let's give a damn everywhere i would love 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 to hear from you let me know what you love about the show This show in particular or any of the episodes what you want more of what you want less of i may not do everything you want but i would sure love to hear feedback i'd love to hear from you so let's talk about it as always this show is edited and produced by the great and wonderful chad snavely i can't wait to spend more time with you next week much love to you and yours bye for now